what had happened was two people from the Miami Valley had been indicted in connection to the Capitol riots. Thanks for finding the What Had Happened Was podcast. It's me, Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. It's only February, but gosh, has it been a year. The voice you just heard belongs to Dayton Daily News crime reporter Parker Perry. He and investigative reporter Josh Wagger give us the 411 on the Miami Valley's connection to the Capitol invasion during this episode. Bar owner Jessica Watkins and her friend Donovan Crawl of Champaign County face federal conspiracy charges and a slew of other charges for allegedly working with an Oath Keeper member from Virginia and others to storm the Capitol on January 6th. Josh and Parker explain what they've learned about the pair, the charges they face, and what the defense strategies may be. Josh tells us what he's learned about Ohio militia members and why experts say they are a growing threat in this state and beyond. The What Happened Was podcast is a project of Dayton.com brought to you by the Dayton Daily News. Like and rate this show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, and wherever else you find shows you just love to pieces. Now here's my talk with Josh and Parker. The first male voice belongs to Josh. How's it going, guys? Awesome. Loving life. A crazy couple weeks, huh? So you guys have been looking into this Jessica Watkins. Jessica Watkins and Donovan Crowell both facing federal charges in relation to the, uh, the January 6th riot and breaking into the Capitol. They're both accused of breaking into the Capitol on the 6th with uh, with other people, part of a militia group. So what are the allegations against them exactly? What is the government saying they, they actually did? What makes this case here locally so interesting is that three people, including Watkins and Crowell, are charged with conspiracy, which means that the government is arguing that they were not caught up in the moment when uh, attacked or entered the Capitol, that this was actually a pre-planned event and who going in what they were going to do when they got to the Capitol steps. Um, they had communications. The government says that through different devices, a Facebook Messenger, for instance, a radio communication app, that they have information that they've been talking to each other since November 3rd, which is shortly before the election, all the way to January 19th, up to when the last person was arrested. Communication as far as what their plans were when they were going to Washington, D.C. for President Trump's rally. In one instance, Thomas Caldwell, who is kind of, I don't want to paint it something that he's not been allegedly painted as already, but as a lead of the three, says that January 5th and 6th is going to be when it all comes together. There's communication during and after as well of the the capital rights. So that's the government's kind pointing to those communications as a reason why they've been charged with conspiracy, which others, people who have been charged in the Capitol riots, haven't been. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's got given this a higher profile nationally even, is because they're accused of conspiring, and they're allegedly part of a larger militia group called the Oath Keepers. So they had their little Ohio group, uh, the Ohio State Regular Militia. They were also allegedly members of this national militia group called the Oath Keepers. And I think there were, what, eight to 10 people there with working with the charging documents where they proceeded in, in formation in military style gear up the steps of the Capitol. That coordination makes this a little bit unique compared to some of the other people charged. And then the involvement of the Oath Keepers is an interesting aspect as well. I think Caldwell's accused of being a leader of that group. I don't know if exactly what the national group has said uh, in terms of this. The last I saw the statement from them, they were decrying the, the Biden's victory, saying that Biden was illegitimately elected. This is the, what the group, the Oath Keepers leader, believes. 
that Biden was unconstitutionally elected and people need to form county militias and start preparing to defend themselves against this tyrannical government. And that's part of a big story we did was looking at militia groups and anti-government groups and that sort of mentality that this tyrannical government's rising up and the concern about what these groups are going to do if they believe that. <laughs> so the Oath Keepers factor heavily in this whole thing. That's totally true, Josh, because during the tension hearing, prosecutors, they introduced exhibits of the website of the Oath Keepers and basically said during the hearing that the Oath Keepers are telling its members that this government is a puppet government and to prepare for literal war against it. So the Oath Keepers, like or not, absolutely um, a of, of the case against the three. Who are they anyway? Well, Jessica owns or is co-owner of a bar uh, called the Jolly Roger in little village called Woodstock in Champaign County. She is former army, I believe. Her and her boyfriend, I guess, bought this bar a couple of years ago and they've been living there and fixing it up. Uh, Donovan Crowell is a patron of the bar, is my understanding, and has a home in Urbana, a listed address in Urbana, though I think he might actually live in Woodstock. He's a Marine Corps veteran. They allegedly created this group called the Ohio State Regular Militia that we've been told by former members of the militia, they say, to respond to natural disasters and be a preparedness group. But some of its members are accused of then going to Washington, D.C. as part of a alleged insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Well, how did we learn that they were, A, from here, and B, mixed up in this whole insurgency? The short answer is the FBI. They've been investigating the Capitol riots and insurrections um, since this started. We became aware of a possible local connection in Champaign County through Facebooks and videos of, of raids that alluded to FBI searching for um, Jessica Watkins. And then obviously the Facebook rumor started falling that it was in connection to, to the Capitol riots. So we started digging and looking to see if that was true. And it was. Jessica Watkins was actually not at her apartment, however, when the FBI was out in Champaign County. She was actually in Virginia, allegedly with a man, Thomas Carwell, who's charged with conspiracy along with Crowell and Watkins. So they actually drove back from Virginia and turned themselves in with, to Urbana police um, after they learned that the FBI was looking for them. The, they used to say the revolution will be televised and the insurrection was live streamed. The amount of people who posted uh, online and a lot of the evidence against them is, is stuff that you, we can look up. Some of these pages have been taken down. But we can use web archives and a lot of people posted videos and photos of themselves in the U.S. Capitol and put all that evidence out there themselves. And that's what's really one of the weird things or unique things about this compared to anything I've seen. It's just a sheer volume of evidence that the people themselves posted online of the things that they're accused of doing illegally. With Josh's point to that, a lot of them also did not wear masks. So you can see their face while they're in the Capitol. And obviously masks, you know, are a hot button issue and some people don't like them, but they're supposed to be wearing masks when they're in groups and they weren't and they're taking pictures of themselves in the Capitol without masks, and you can basically plainly see who was there. That's how you know it wasn't Antifa, because Antifa covers their face. They care about health. That was a bad joke. <laughs> That's something that I heard a lot when I went to Champaign County and talked to neighbors and stuff. A lot of people firmly believe that it was Antifa and Black Lives Matter who were the instigators and responsible for this. I don't know if they were or weren't there. Is it possible that Antifa was involved in some way? Maybe. But a lot of these people who were charged, we can see their Facebook histories, we can see what, what they've been about, what they've been posting, and they're not Antifa or Black Lives Matter. Does that mean that there may not have been a couple of them involved in breaking windows who are, who are Antifa? That's possible, sure. But these individuals, very clearly, the things that, they, that they've posted online previously are very anti-Antifa. Well, the FBI said it wasn't Antifa or Black Lives Matter involved. They said, you know, the same thing you just did, that it's very clear who the folks were. 
who were involved in well, this. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of videos. You can clearly see, I mean, unless they went deep undercover, Trump signs, the chanting Trump, 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 these people's histories, I mean, the organizations they're with, the Proud Boys and groups like that. It's clear, the majority of the crowd, at least, the, the cases that I've seen, the people who've been brought forward are, are not Antifa. What do you think it means that some people seem so proud to be there showing them their faces and they didn't seem to care about concealing their identities? What does that mean? They thought they were part of some big historic moment and they were proud to be a part of it. A lot of people believe that the election was fraudulently stolen by Biden and they were making a political statement. Watching the videos, they look kind of like the dog that caught the car, like they're walking into the Capitol. And then you, they have really had no plan beyond that. A lot of them, that I've, and the people I've talked to who are friends of them and neighbors of them, see what they did on par with other protest movements. There, there was a protest. They wanted to be peaceful, they claim, to go in, walked in and just sat down in the Capitol Rotunda to make a statement. People might look at it differently, but obviously they didn't. I mean, it was violent. There were people injured, people killed, uh, property destruction. I think that they, each individual thought that they were doing something noble, but cumulatively turned out to be less noble, perhaps, than, than they intended. Parker, what have you learned about Jessica and Donovan Crawley? Like, who are they as people? Josh actually went up there and spoke with people that knew him. He might be better answering as far as who they are as people. What I can say is that during the court hearing, which I've covered, their attorneys have said that they are law-abiding people. Like what Josh said, one of the persons that Josh interviewed, but they that she went to the Capitol not with the intention of hurting anybody, of being a patriot and, and, and standing up for what she believes in. Donovan Crawl, for instance, during his detention hearing, his attorney said that he's a Persian Gulf War veteran, a cancer survivor, and someone who overall people tend to like. He argued that he's a law-abiding citizen who got caught up in this thing. So I, I guess I think Josh can, has talked to people who have actually known these people, but their attorneys say that they're nice people who aren't radicals. One of the former members of the state militia group that they allegedly created said that their reason for being there was to protect VIPs. And Crowell said the same thing in another interview before he was arrested with, I think, the um, New Yorker magazine. And I was told that the people they were there to protect were the Congress people who they suspected voting against certifying the election results. And so they they saw themselves as there to protect the members of Congress and, and Mike Pence. Now, of course, that's obviously the job of the Secret Service and the Capitol Police. Right. That's what I was thinking the whole time you're saying this. I'm like, right. well, there's somebody who does that already in our government. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's what they claim, is that they went there to protect the people who were going to stand up for Trump and, and try to get what they thought was the just outcome of the election. They believed that the election was stolen and it was time for, probably wouldn't use the word insurrection, but they would use the word revolution. That's what a lot of people there said. And there's been new details that have come out about sort of the communication among Kroll and, and Watkins and things that they said they were doing, at least in Facebook messages and stuff like that and the indictment and the charging document. Going back to your point, of Josh, of protection, and I forget the exact term they use, but important people or, or VIPs. VIPs, yeah. One thing that Crawl's attorney said during his attention hearing was that Crawl helped get people who were injured in the Capitol out or to safety. I think the New Yorker article mentioned that he expelled three people from the Capitol. His attorney says that he actually, and I'm not a military person, so I don't know the proper terminology, but he said exfilled, which means to rescue or to save three people who were injured. He said that he was able to extract them, I guess, out of the Capitol, or at least to a safe place. That's kind of the argument that's being made by the defense.
in, in the case. And he was helping other people. Yeah, I believe Watkins claims that she and Crowell or, or the group, they prevented some property damage and that they weren't trying to be violent or destroy things. That's what they claim. I mean, that, that is their defense. And that's obviously these are all allegations in a court of law that will have to be adjudicated. How concerned should we be in this area that those militia groups are out there? Should we be running for the hills? I mean, I've spoken to multiple of the militia leaders. Some of them are militia groups. Some of them are accused of being anti-government groups. Of course, the, the reference we used with this was the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is an organization that tracks alleged hate groups and not uncommon for a group to be put on the SPLC's list and not like it and <laughs> object to that. I know a couple of years ago, the New Black Panther Party of Dayton was very upset because they got put on the list. They claimed they're not a hate group. These groups that I spoke to, uh, there's a local group called the Last Ohio Militia that operates in Montgomery County, Butler County, Clark County, all of Southwest Ohio. They say, we're not anti-government. We're just a, a bunch of guys that likes getting together and shooting guns in the woods and preparing for worst case scenarios. They're, they do tend to be conservative, but they claim they're not a threat to anybody. That they, in fact, that they're here to protect people. And I, I, multiple militia groups that I've talked to have all insisted that they are no threat. Now, the Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center and experts we talked to say that these groups do pose a threat. And the mentality that the government is illegitimate and it is time to invoke the Second Amendment, because these are all big constitutional groups, that it's time to invoke the Second Amendment against an illegitimate government is a statement advocating violence. Uh, and again, none of the groups I spoke to said that. I mean, they didn't advocate violence, but the experts fear that, that this rhetoric is going to, to do that. And that's interestingly, the Oath Keepers, one of the things that they're known for, uh, Stuart Rhodes, who's the founder, he, he never comes out and specifically says, we need to go blow up a government building or we, we need to go do this violent thing. He says, their government's illegitimate. Somebody needs to do something. If somebody does something, he didn't tell them to do it. They just kind of fill the blanks themselves. That's the concern is that where does this rhetoric lead? Where, where does all this talk of tyranny and fighting tyranny with the Second Amendment, is that just rhetoric or is that an actual path to violence? And yeah, that's the, the question. Break it in to remind you that you're listening to the What Happened Was podcast, a service of Cox Next Advanced Digital Solutions. To support local journalism like the work Josh and Parker produce, subscribe to the Dayton Daily News. As our community and nation respond to the coronavirus threat, the Dayton Daily News is here, providing up-to-the-minute local coverage on our website and app and going in-depth so you know what's really going on. Our news team is working around the clock to provide information you can trust to keep your family safe and connected. As a community, we may be hunkered down in our homes, but we are still Dayton strong. We have survived so much together and we'll get through this crisis too. The Dayton Daily News, your trusted source for local news. How did they react to you, Josh Swagger? I'm from the newspaper. I want to talk to you about a militia. In these groups, there's a lot of distrust of the media. Right. Uh, and and we, were, we were cognizant of that. I mean, one of the... Enduring images for me of the Capitol riot is the words murder the media painted on one of the doors. No kidding. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Totally opposed to that. So yeah, so I mean, I, there's no surprise that a lot of people in these areas are skeptical of the media. There were people I talked to who said, you guys don't ever represent my point of view. And I'm like, okay, well, tell me your point of view. Okay, what's your name? I'm not giving you that. I can't represent your point of view <laughs> if you don't like actually let me quote your point of view. So yeah, there was a lot of uh, animosity towards the media in these areas, but I think the militia people and their accused militia leaders or the groups that we mentioned, the people from those groups were all pretty open and wanted to defend their reputations because they had the Again, they claim that they're being misrepresented as uh, some sort of violent extremists 
where they're just a, a group of people that gets together to cans in the woods. Prepper is, is one of the terms that comes up a lot is preparing for natural disasters or zombies or something. And they said, so, so they mentioned jokingly the zombie apocalypse. Experts we talked to say, well, what are you preparing for? Shooting guns in the woods. <laughs> uh, looks like you're preparing for war. They say, no, 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 we're just preparing for any any circumstance that might come up. And there are conservative groups. I mean, they, they obviously tend to be conservative. A lot of them are very upset about social media right now and they're being, I mean, Parler was shut down. One of the challenges of the story, frankly, is that the Oath Keepers website was wiped off the internet. Uh, I had to use uh, the Wayback Machine uh, video web archive, view what their website used to say. Same thing with Parler. We had to use the Wayback Machine to access those pages. Facebook groups have been wiped out. All these groups, the SPLC list, all their Facebook groups were removed from the internet. So it makes it difficult to get their perspective when that happens. And they're all very upset about the social media sort of crackdown on, on again, what they see as a crackdown on conservatism. And of course, what the social media websites would say is a crackdown on extremism. So Jessica Watkins, obviously a woman. When you think about malicious, you always think of men and that sort of thing. How many women are involved in these groups, would you say, in Ohio? Or do you get a sense of that at all? Well, actually, it is interesting because most of them are men only. Several of the ones we spoke to. Uh, the last Ohio militia is a men's only club. I mean, it's a, it's a registered LLC and it's created as a men's only club. The Proud Boys only allow men. I mean, uh, part of some of these groups is they're not going to apologize for masculinity and they want to return to sort of um, uh, traditional male sort of mm-hmm. um, expressions. Caveman uh, stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> caveman stuff, right. It is less common, certainly, the women will be involved because some of these groups actually don't even allow women. I don't know as far as the Oath Keepers, how that breaks down. I mean, there are more, obviously more men than women in the military. Um, of those charged, Parker, I don't know if you have a sense of, because there's like a People are not charged from other states too. How many of them are females? I mean, it's not a huge number. I'd have to get back with you on that. I'm not entirely sure. Right. You just totally put me off like a source would. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're going to be a White House press secretary here soon. I'll have to go back to you on that. I'll circle back. Yeah. <laughs> circle back on that list. How would somebody even get involved in something like this? You guys know? These sort of militia groups. So the Ohio State Regular Militia is a little group that they apparently formed there in Woodstock. And when people would come into the bar and the neighbor was telling me, I, you go in for a beer, they'd talk to you about joining, you know, you should sign up and you kind of laugh and finish your beer. Some people would sign up and some wouldn't. And the group, that little group was like five people in Woodstock, Ohio, which is uh, only like two, 300 people in the entire village. Right. These other groups have a national presence. The Oath Keepers was created in 2009 in response to the Obama election. Some people say that that's a response to the first black president, that that's a racial. They would say it's a response to socialism. Or They clearly increase during times of democratic administrations and concerns that democratic administrations are going to pass more socialistic anti-Second Amendment. Because Second Amendment's a huge deal in these groups. They're not unknown and you can look them up. And I mean, Alex Jones and InfoWars has the head of Oath Keepers on his show all the time. I mean, there's 30 some odd alleged anti-government groups and militias in Ohio. And that's just the ones on the SPLC website. There's others that call themselves militias that aren't on the SPLC website. I mean, there's nothing new in the Midwest that people who see themselves as constitutionalists create these little groups been around for decades. I mean, and one expert I talked to said it really increased during the Cold War. That became a big time because they kind of saw themselves as fighting against communism and the fear of the threat of communism and the movie Red Dawn. I'm sure you guys ever saw that where a bunch of high school kids formed this militia off the Russian government, sort of that mentality. 
Obviously, it's more than just Donald Trump. What do they want? They'll tell you that they're not they're not just Trump supporters. They don't necessarily agree with Trump. I mean, one of them said that if Trump had gone for a third term or something like that, which is the Constitution doesn't allow, then they would have opposed that. There tend to be, I mean, libertarian sort of facing people who want the federal government to be as small as humanly possible and states right. From a political standpoint, it's, it's not extremist. What raises concerns, I think, among the experts is the rhetoric that talks a lot about whether the current government is illegitimate under Biden and we're all the talk about the Second Amendment. And the Second Amendment's in the Constitution, and these groups are very big into the Second Amendment and protecting the Second Amendment. But a lot of the discussion is just about preventing the government from attempting to whittle away at the Second Amendment. I mean, the, these are the groups you see at the Capitol and in Dayton, too, with the open carry. I mean, when you see the groups that are having an AR-15 and they're walking around in public, these are the types of groups that we're talking about. Some of them may not be on the list, but they're, a lot of them are very similar in mentality. Amelia, one thing that the prosecutors have said, especially during the attention hearing, is that these groups of people, they believe in their interpretation of the Constitution, which, like Josh said, is small government, especially small federal government. What the prosecutor says, they believe that their interpretation is better than lawmakers, the courts, and everything else, and everyone else who, whose, whose opinion sways policy. That's one thing that the prosecutor's office have said, that they believe that they definitely do have political views that they think are better than others. And, and getting back to what, how do these people get in, you know, we've been working to, to reach out to people who know these two, but some of the national outlets like BuzzFeed, The New Yorker, BuzzFeed just came out with, with a story with Jessica Watkins' boyfriend who said that she owned a bar. She was looking forward to having a successful 2020. Then the pandemic hit. Trump's numbers started going down and she started fearing Biden's administration and, and that he would be anti-American and that he would... Uh, not hold the values of the American society like she thinks that they should. That's one thought of how someone becomes part of a group like that. And then also Donovan Crawl's mother has gone on record several times saying that he has possessed these radical right views for years and that she no longer talks to him because of it. That's kind of how one can enter into a fray of, of a militia group, I guess. The pandemic is a big part of it. I mean, that, that's a yeah. good point because a lot of these people who are concerned about sort of tyrannical government overreach when they see the government uh, imposing curfews and shutting down businesses, this is the tyranny that they've been fearing. This is a big trigger for a lot of these groups. Interest in that and, a lot, and the discussion and rhetoric around it is certainly a big driving factor. I mean, the, the steps that the government's taken to address the coronavirus pandemic feeds directly into the fears that the government is going to reach in and impact my life in a negative personal way. Trump been impeached and now it's going to be a trial. Have you guys seen evidence that he instigated them to do this in their minds? I mean, the people I've spoken to have certainly said that they don't believe that Trump was uh, personally responsible. My understanding, I don't know if Parker's aware of this, is that some of the other defendants and, and some of the other cases have made certain comments where they thought they were actually acting on the actions of the commander in chief or stuff like that. That's not something I've heard. And that, I don't think that's the case in the Watkins or, or Crowell cases, right? And that is interesting. And I, I've only seen media reports about what attorneys are saying as far as Trump's involvement in, in it. I guess I would need to speak with a legal expert more before I jump to any conclusions, but a conspiracy to impede Congress, which is what Crawl and Watkins was indicted for, would lead one to believe that this was pre-planned. And regardless of what the president was going to say, you know, this was going to happen or that all right. So I'm still working, I guess, on that angle to see exactly what a conspiracy charge does for Senate trial. Rather. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, if you showed up 
to the president's speech with zip ties and all the things you needed to break into the Capitol, that right. what you said that day was you had your mind made up ahead of time. It's a good point. And I don't know if the impeachment is specifically focused on his comments that day or right. the comments he made prior to that for the, in the buildup. Yeah, I think the buildup is part of it too. So we'll see though what evidence they bring to light. I'm curious if they're going to call out some of these folks who went up there and protest and ask them what their thinking was. If uh, they say, well, is this the reason you went up there? Yeah, and and universally, everyone I spoke to says they don't criticize the people they're protesting. I mean, criticizing the government is fundamental to democracy. Right. Uh, And that's not an issue. Protesting, holding signs, it's absolutely First Amendment. It's where you draw the line of breaking into the building and actually hurting people or damaging property. Again, I mean, a lot of people don't believe that it was Trump supporters that did that. They still believe, contrary to the evidence, that it was BLM and Antifa that were, were involved in that. No one I've spoken to from any of those groups or people that know them or in Champaign County think that Trump was personally responsible for any of this. Do they think it was a bad idea to have a riot at the Capitol, though? I think they would say it wasn't planned as a riot. It was planned as a protest. And there's protests at the Capitol all the time. I mean, right. after Trump was elected, there's the Women's March, which was a protest in response to, to Trump. Right. That's what Washington does. They handle protests. Right. It, yeah, every day there's, there's a protest there. I, they would counter that it was not intended to be a riot. Yeah, but there are people who go, well, it was meant as a riot, but it was a riot and maybe it should have been a riot. Have you, have you gotten that? Well, one thing that I do hear a lot, and this is kind of echo, Jim Jordan brought this up in the House and some of the other Republicans brought this up, is the sense that of a double standard. They believe that the BLM protesters and Antifa protesters, like the ones in the Portland, were treated with kids' loves versus the way that the federal capital riot people are being treated. Another pervasive view that I heard a lot is, is that they think that the FBI is making an example out of conservatives by treating them more aggressively than they treated these other groups. Now, of course, the Black Lives Matters protests in D.C., they arrested hundreds of people <laughs> versus the Capitol siege that day. I think they only arrested like 50 people. The police presence was night and day between the two. But certainly, I mean, Jim Jordan brought this up in, the, in Congress, and it's certainly something I hear a lot, is that they believe that they're being unfairly more aggressively pursued than the BLM protesters or the Antifa protesters were. The whataboutism was the argument that people are making to counter that. It's like, what about you guys? Look what you, what about those guys? Whatever. Right. So, I mean, it never makes it right. It just makes it, I mean, it's just a... Uh, uh, it's a really interesting time to live in. Are you afraid for this area that we're not prepared for a potential attack? I know the FBI has alerts out there that th- something might be brewing. Should we be concerned in this area? I know you're not the FBI, but you guys have been looking into it. If I were the FBI, I would say that I can't comment on that. Uh, <laughs> well played, Josh. Well played. I think that in, in any issue of security, you should be concerned enough to have a plan. Uh, I mean, concerned enough to be prepared. I, I don't know that we need to Um, there's a a school of thought that says that some of these groups are going to actually lose or diminish in aggressiveness because of the Capitol riot. I'm old enough to remember the Oklahoma City bombing. That had an effect on militia groups because they saw that and like, whoa, 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 that's not us. And people actually reduced involvement in militia uh, because that they they didn't want to be associated with that. And so there's some school of thought that says that that might happen. That ultimately, when you have a group of people who believe that the democratic system is broken and they can't operate within that system, that is worrisome. (laughs) If you're not happy with your leadership and your government, then you need to get people on the ballot. You need to protest. I mean, do the things that operate within the democracy, not try to work outside the democratic process. That's the concern. There's certainly concerns from officials. The Department of Homeland Security, they issued a bulletin about domestic terrorism and how there is a concern that capital riots have emboldened other people 
who might feel like doing damage or hurting the, the Capitol or just any federal building. So officials are definitely on high alert right now. On that note, <laughs> was there anything else you guys want to talk about that I didn't get to? It's important to note, I mean, with Watkins and Carl especially, that, I mean, these are allegations. Uh, right. We're, we're going to be following the case or to the end, and their, their guilt or innocence it will be decided, obviously, through that process. We're trying to uncover as much as we can about these groups, the allegations against them, and listen to all sides of the debate and all that. So we'll have a lot of coverage about all that stuff going forward. While this feels like it's been going on forever, we're only two or three weeks you know, away from the incident. And defense teams haven't really had a chance to build their defense fully. Crawl, Watkins, and Caldwell were just indicted. It's only fair to give Everyone's time for their own defenses in the Constitution and really listen to also to remember the events that took place January 6th and um, let the facts come out. Thanks a lot for telling us what happened. What had happened. What had happened. Thanks for telling what had happened. This is important. You got to stay on brand. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. <laughs> Good gosh almighty. I told you this is a fascinating case. I am so glad Josh and Parker will be covering it for our community. The What Had Happened Was podcast is a project of Dayton.com. This episode was edited, written, and produced by me, Amelia Robinson, at my house. Until next time, be kind and stay at least six feet from each other. Bye-bye.